0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Horrorversary, a podcast celebrating horror movies, celebrating anniversaries. As always, I'm your host, Adrian Torres, and we've been off for a couple weeks. I mean, not not too many weeks, because we did decide to have that three-part spectacular at the end of last year, beginning this year. But here we are, we've taken off a couple of weeks. I I had to move, I wanted to get everything situated and make sure that we had a bevy of wonderful guests lined up. Now, because of the outpouring of success we had with a couple episodes, there are going to be some people that we've brought back on. And that works on this show compared to most others because of the fact that every year is a new experience. Here we are officially in 2019, which means we're gonna be looking back at movies from 2009, from 1999, 1989, 1979, even going back as far as a couple films from 1959, because you'd be surprised when it comes to the films that are hitting anniversaries this year, kind of how they tie together. Like here's a little tidbit for what we're going to get into the future. You have the original mummy film came out in 1959. And of course the Stephen Summers mummy film came out in 1999. So right there you have two that you had one that was already celebrating the anniversary and then you're able to celebrate the anniversary of that movie. That That's how wild and crazy and interconnected everything is. Now, of course, Horrorversary is gladly part of the Boom Howdy podcast network. There's a whole bunch of other great shows on the network that you definitely want to check out. So you can easily go online and you can either go to boomhowdy.com, look for the podcast or put Boom Howdy Podcast Network in your Google search engine. And you're going to get a couple different places. You're going to get a website connected. You're going to get SoundCloud. You're going to get Twitter, however you want it. And I definitely suggest checking out the the other shows that are on there, especially because there's a whole bunch that's going on right now with the podcast. There's going to be some great interviews coming up. Now, to kick off 2019, there's a movie that I very much wanted to do, and that's The Sixth Sense. Now obviously, the reason to do that is not only is it turning 20, which seems crazy, but the fact that M. Night Shyamalan has another movie that just recently opened in theaters, in Glass. So it seemed like the perfect way to kick things off on the second season, if you will. Now, I'm pretty sure that anybody who's listening knows a lot about The Sixth Sense, and when you're talking about The Sixth Sense, you definitely have to start with Haley Joel Osment. And that's because the plot of the film is. Okay. It's the start of a new year. I, I, I should have known, you know, to, to keep it quicker, to, to, to hasten my step, if you will. But it's it's the beginning of the year, so we'll, we'll be very zen about this. And I'm very excited to introduce... The first guest of this year, a good friend of mine who, if you're out on the Internet, you may have heard of a little um, podcast network of his own that he runs that's called Doof Media, where he's the host of the Doof cast. I'd like to welcome to Horrorversary, Mr. Scott Daly. How's it going,
1: Scott? It's going good, Adrian. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm very excited to talk about this movie. Of, of course you are, buddy. Now, what you might not know <laughs> about Scott is
0: is that Scott and I, several years back, when I first kind of jumped into to, to starting to do podcasting, was I did a show with Scott um, on what became Doof Media. Um, we had a podcast that was called Phantom Zone. Duh. Phantom <laughs> Zone with a D at the end.
1: Yeah, it's to avoid words. that pesky uh, trademark violation, exactly. right?
0: Exactly. That's why we overpronounce the, the duh,
1: all the time. And that
0: show... Would kind of lead, kind of You could describe as a, a masochistic version of How did this get made <laughs> And that's because well how did this get made Maybe, You know mostly did Movies that like more people would know Or like on IMDb Might have like a 5.3 We were doing the movies that had like A 1.3 Or a 1.7 The movies that, that the people from How did this get made Would have said we don't want to fucking Watch that So we took it upon ourselves and the, but the very first episode we did was a more positive uh, film. And the reason I wanted to do it is because I've had a love hate relationship with M night Shyamalan. And the whole concept that we had on that show is that you, you voted if a movie was going to, you know, could be enjoyed by everybody because it was a bad but enjoyable film, or if it would be jettisoned often to the far reaches of space, a phantom zone, if you will. So the first episode we did <laughs> was The Happening, because oh, the happening. Scott is known as an M. Night Shyamalan apologist. He loves the man dearly, so that's very much why I wanted to have him talk on, on this episode since this is a, a Gus session. This is where you come on to talk about how great a film is and and The Sixth Sense is a legitimately good film so that's why I wanted to to bring him on so I hope you're okay with that.
1: I am perfectly fine with it. I don't like this term apologist though because it, it implies that there's something to apologize for and when it comes to M. Night Shyamalan that answer is n- no. There's nothing. Lady in the water. Is this, Lady in know? the water. You know, it's a, it's a movie. Oh, you mean, uh,
0: you mean the film where part of the movie exists to be a diatribe against film critics so much that he decided that he was going to create a terrible human being who happens to be a film critic and then kill him off in a gory fashion?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Look, okay. M.I. Um, Chamon has a very complex relationship with his critics. I get uh-huh. that. Um, I, I don't think that was a well-advised decision to put in his movie, <laughs> but it's a choice. And he's doing it now.
0: I, I did mention that that you have uh, the Doof Media Podcast Network, but you guys have a very popular show, which I guess is a spinoff of another popular show that you guys had. Correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we, I mean, we do a but like we do. I think we have three shows running right now. The one you mentioned, the Doofcast, is kind of like our variety show where we just dive into you know. We, we like to talk about storytelling, right? So we dive into mm-hmm. the storytelling in movies, books, television, you know, video games, sometimes what have you. Um, the, our most popular show is uh, a really deep dive examination of a web serial novel. Um, the original was called Worm. The, this is the sequel called Ward that we're covering right now. Um, so we do like a chapter by chapter deep dive analysis and study of that book. Um, and, and the fans of that book are, are, you know, great very passionate people so they they enjoy our show
0: yeah and i i I didn't realize like how popular this series was until like a couple months ago when i went on to to do like a patreon and be like i think i think i can throw scott a dollar and then like saw how much money or how much (laughs) money was going into it and i was like wow These people really love it to be giving that much money to just this this small little offshoot. And I I think it shows what a success it is for you guys to have people who are who are willing to to toss up that much money towards the the programming over there from being from such a, you know, a small outlet.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a a whirlwind kind of I think we started that spinoff show uh, two years ago this March. And It's been a whirlwind two years where we've grown in leaps and bounds. We've seen growth in all of our shows, and it's it's very exciting. We're expanding out. We're trying to like create kind of a a network where we invite other shows to be part of it. So we've got a lot of plans, and it all started with this this little this little web book. And it's yeah, it's it's exciting. It's there exciting. you go.
0: See, and so hopefully we'll have a couple extra listeners who who come over to to listen to this since uh, you you've got a following. So that's really nice. Um, yeah. Now, the first question that we always like to ask everybody is probably the easiest one, but it leads to the most interesting stories. Do you remember the first time you saw The Sixth Sense?
1: Vaguely. Um, I definitely did not see this movie in theaters. This was was 1999, so I was probably like 14 years old. Um, And my parents aren't big into horror, and even though this movie is like... Like, I mean, there's scary parts in it. It's not too, too scary of a movie though. Um, but my dad just, my mom kind of likes horror. My dad's just not a horror person. Um, so I, I didn't end up going to see this movie in a theater, but I caught it when it came out on video, which I think is like what a lot of people did with this movie. I mean, I think this movie, it did, it did well in the theaters, but I think it like, it, it. It sold so many copies and there were so many rentals of this movie once it released on home video, just I think from word of mouth. So I think a lot of people first M.I. Shyamalan experiences via a, a cassette tape or I guess it was probably Blu ray or a DVD by then, right?
0: Um, It was moving I- into that. It was still a couple of years. Like things were turning over. 1997 is kind of when they have the, yeah. the Switch. So. You, you still had a very big and uh, prevalent group of people who were doing VHS. And the reason why I say that is because uh, The Matrix was another one of those that did well in the theater but took on a, a whole new life of its own when it came to home video. Yeah. Um, so th- that both of these films were, were ones that had good theatrical showings. Um, and when I say good theatrical showings, it's kind of selling it short for this one. Cause the the budget for this movie was forty million dollars, and it made six hundred seventy two million dollars. Oh dang! So and and then it did even more when it had, and that's uh, uh what's it called two hundred ninety three million dollars of that was in the U S. And yeah. then another three hundred seventy nine millions was foreign, which in nineteen ninety nine. That's huge. It's insane because that's yeah. the same year as uh, *Phantom Menace*.
1: Yeah. So
0: it's it, it's it's it shows that there was there were legs in this in this movie. But like I said, once it hits home video, and as Scott mentioned, it takes on a, a whole nother life.
1: Yeah, I mean, but the the thing was, I already knew the twist ending by the time I saw this movie because, oh. um, so I've never experienced this movie not knowing. Not knowing about Bruce Willis. Coming do are we we're gonna say it, right? Like we can't like it's been twenty years. We can't like pretend people don't know the end of this movie, right? Okay. What what we always like to
0: say on
1: this <laughs> podcast, and whenever we have guests,
0: is we like to say this is the point you should pause the show. If okay. If you have not seen the movie, pause the show, go watch the movie and come back. If you decide if you agree with Scott that it's been twenty years and you might as well just spoil it, which which is fine, we understand that, but we want to give the audience a chance. So, pause here if you need to go, and we'll even give you a short little. Let's see, there—that's the, had <laughs> had the nice little pause in there, so it gave you a there chance go. If, if you were slow on going. Oh crap! I need to pause it right now. Well, we we built that in for you, so so there I you fr- go. Uh, but yeah, the, the twist, I saw this film in the theater and I sat in the very back because a friend of mine worked at um, worked at an AMC before I did a couple years later. And he was like, hey, I'll get you a ticket. Just sit in the very back. Uh, you want to <laughs> see this movie. So like it was a uh, a 5 p.m. showing on a Friday night. And so like I snuck in was sitting in the back and I'll admit that I wasn't as blown away. By the twist, and it was more so that I was blown away by the audience's reaction to it. Like, <laughs> people were literally losing losing their mind. And, like, I'm pretty sure there are a couple people who, who threw up their popcorn in the air that there was the, re- the reveal that happens. And, like, seeing that is, is when you know that something special is occurring. That when you have a large group of, of people in a dark theater who can all be taken on that ride. And all feel that the the rug is collectively pulled under, you know, away from their feet. Like, that's yeah. what was special about it. So, like, that does suck knowing that that you didn't get to see it in that fashion.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, like, I've never been, and I think this movie might be a, a large reason why, but I've never been, like, a really extreme spoiler-phobe type of person. Um, I'm much more interested in the mechanics of a story. So, like, it, it amuses me to no end to study this movie um, and see how it how it manipulates itself around the twist Mm -hmm. um and and so so i like even even the first time i was watching it i i could appreciate what the movie was doing and how it was doing that and and i think that's one of the most brilliant parts about this movie that is that has a lot of great parts to it is is the way Shyamalan like maneuvers you around the twist to where once you know it 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 becomes so obvious Mm -hmm. but but you're entirely ignorant to it. Um, and he like, like just runs right up to the line of cheating a few times in the movie without ever having to do it. I love, I love the scene where, um, Haley Joel Osment's character walks into the room and Bruce Willis is sitting there looking at Tony Collette and, Mm -hmm. and Shyamalan is basically using your assumptions that they were having a conversation right before the door opened. Like he knows, You know, he knows people are trained in watching movies and we know that if two people are sitting in a room facing each other and someone else walks in and they're silent, they were just talking about him. And he he uses that to manipulate you into imagining that that conversation happened, even though it obviously never did. And I just I think that's just so brilliant. I love it so much.
0: No, it works. It works really well. And it adds to a whole bunch of like weird questions you end up asking about the movie that you don't with normal other films. But speaking of question, we're, we're going to make sure to get to the second one before we, we let you completely go on a deep dive here. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It, it works out. It shows how passionate you are for it. Um, the second question we ask is, for the uninitiated, which, yes, even though this is 20 years old, you still have people who, who haven't necessarily seen it. So, for the uninitiated, in as few words as possible, describe the sixth
1: sense. Okay, um... A child psychologist uh, goes through a traumatic experience and feels like he failed a former patient, finds a new patient, and attempts to help him, and in doing so, learns something about himself.
0: The former patient, of course, is Donnie Wahlberg.
1: Yeah, who lost like a million
0: pounds. And and is possibly still scarred from that movie, and that's why he's a close to crazy person these days. Yeah, it could be is it sad that in the short little bit that Donnie Wahlberg is in this movie he outdoes Mark Wahlberg in the happening?
1: Um no, I don't know it's like okay. You want me to you want me to get into the happening. We
0: we we we, we don't have to do it. I, it was something <laughs> that I noticed in it. I'm like, "Wow, Donnie has a a more naturalistic approach in his one scene in this movie compared to the entirety of his brother in the happening. And I
1: completely agree. Donnie is the one who's cast aside. I completely agree. In real life, so. But I, but I'm also utterly convinced that everything Mark Wahlberg does in that movie was absolutely intentional and was supposed to be as ridiculous and absurd and detached and weird as it was. So, so back to, back to <laughs> this sense.
0: um, you you brought up a really interesting point, which I think is is one of the big discussion pieces. Any time you hit upon the sixth sense nowadays, which is the twist was such a big piece of it. But for movies that are predicated on uh, a successful twist, is how do they stack up over time? Mm-hmm. So, like when you're going back and rewatching it, you have to watch it through a completely different gaze because once that twist is spoiled it becomes how well um, manufactured is it. So I'm yeah. going to give you an example um, for while you're discussing, because it's outside of the Sixth Sense. There's one other movie I can think of in the last 20 years that had a big twist that's been, um, I'm trying to think of the right way to describe it, but it, it, it's almost as popular as the Sixth Sense because of the twist, and that's Saw. Yeah. Because, of course, and for people who haven't seen Saw, you can pause right here. We're not going to talk about <laughs> Saw for very long. But, but it's, a, it's another film where you're being manipulated into one way and then, the, you know, the sheet is pulled off to reveal that, hey, the guy who's, you know, dead on the floor here is the person who's the mastermind of it at all. And yeah. the reason why I b- bring up Sla, and people can yell at me online, that's fine, I'm used to it by now for this movie, is that I don't think it works that well. Because when they go back and show the reveal, they compl- they continually have to show the camera, pan over <laughs> to show him and be like, hey, this guy you didn't realize was in the scene is the person who's the key piece of it all. And it's like, well, that doesn't really work. And so that that's why it's, when you're discussing the film, keep that... In mind, because I do think that for the most part, the most part, The Sixth Sense is a good example of when it goes back and it shows you scenes, it's able to to say we didn't have to alter anything to to cheat this to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and I completely agree. That's where in my mind, The Sixth Sense really flourishes. To me, a good twist is one that um, successfully like forces you to reimagine everything you just saw with this new information in mind. And that's why I kind of, I kind of agree that the, the saw twist doesn't work as well because like, I mean, the only thing you're reimagining is, oh, there was that guy on the floor was him the whole time. Like it doesn't like it doesn't change every single interaction yeah. in the story as much. Where in the sixth sense, every single interaction is changed because of this twist. And they spent so much time on it. I mean, like people have talked about these things, you know, in the 20 years that it's come out, the the, the use of red to indicate that he's around dead people. Um, like there are there are little beats where like when Bruce Willis sits down in the chair at the anniversary dinner with his wife um they they have cheated the chair out already so he doesn't have to move the chair to sit down um he just kind of slides right into the chair without having to move it and i think they paid a lot of really minute attention to all these things to make it so just as you're saying they didn't have to really really break the rules of the world in order to make this twist work um they just they just spent the time you know planning around it in a way that uh it successfully works because then you go back and you're sitting there like yeah it's true he really didn't ever have a conversation with any other human being in that whole movie Mm -hmm. um and 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 i think that's the fun part of the twist is you go back and you realize all these things and that's what makes it i think fun to to rewatch the movie as well is that um you get to experience all these things and see what they're doing and see the the craftsmanship that went on in the story structure there
0: I noticed in this rewatch that the person who has the most difficult time in the entire movie is the editor. And that's because more <laughs> than, more than most other movies, there's a very choppy nature to the sixth sense, but it, it's again, as you stated, it's that manipulation they're doing because you see the several times that he goes and he tries the, the red uh, knobbed door and then searches his pocket for his, for the key. And then it jumps to, him being down in the cellar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or, and that's... or
0: there's all these times where they, they cut to him being in a different set of clothes. You never see him change the clothes. He just no. appears in the different clothes.
1: And he's only wearing the clothes that he was wearing the night he died. Yeah. Um, that's another little thing they did. Yeah. I mean, I don't well, think save for the jacket, save for the jacket. That is true. He does have the jacket on. That was a little bit of a cheat, I guess, technically. Um, but I think one of the, like he doesn't, I don't think he ever walks in a door in the in the, the the movie at all like we whenever they never we show
0: him opening yeah. a door
1: right yeah i mean like whenever whenever we see him he's already in the scene we see him like he he's already walked into the building he's already like th- these are like it's th- that's why i love it so much because mm. it's using cinematic language in a way that everyone else uses to shortcut things because mm. in a movie we don't have to see the guy like walk up to the door, open the door, walk in the, ha- in the room. Um, we don't have to see any of that in a movie. We can just imply it. And it's using that implication in a way that hides the truth from you. And I just – I think it's fantastic.
0: The weird questions it does bring up and, – and this is something I very much want to get you, your, your opinion on. We know that um, ghosts in this world can manipulate some objects. Are we just led yeah. to believe that they can manipulate them to whatever degree they choose?
1: Yeah, it's not it's not really clear, right? Because mm-hmm. there, I mean, we, I mean, we we definitely see like he he is physically harmed by these ghosts. We definitely see that that one ghost is able to uh, open and close kitchen cabinet doors. Yeah. Um, Presumably, like the, the thing I'm not sure if, if Bruce Willis is like actually down in his basement, like actually removing those old notes from books and stuff, like if that's physically happening or if well, it's just like part the, of his delusion the tape recorder. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, because the, the tape
0: recorder when he's or the tape when he's playing into the machine and he turns it up really loud so that he can hear the other voice on the other end to, to continue his conversation with with Cole when he starts to believe him is that he he would have to actually be be using the tape he couldn't you know have just convinced himself of that
1: yeah i think the um i think the the cheat there is that they say they see what they want to see right so you can make an argument that this is all just part of his delusion and he's not actually like none of this is actually physically interacting with the world he's just when he's down in his office going through his notes that's just part of him deluding himself or you could argue that. I don't know. Um,
0: no, no, no. I mean, I mean, but but it's it's an interesting. It's not it's not like a bad question. It's yeah. it's a it's a curious thing because, like I said, we do see ghosts manipulate the world. Like the the one who's keeping the the door locked up uh, up at the top of the stairs when Cole gets pushed in there. Yeah, and you know that Misha uh, Barton when she's under the the bed where she died, she pushes the box towards him so that he can take it down to. Uh, so that Cole can take it down to the father. So we know that these ghosts are able to manipulate the world around him. It's just we're not sure what his extent. And like the big question that that I'm curious about is how Malcolm finds out about Cole. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good question. It's it's the only thing that that rewatching it now that there's not an answer for.
1: It seems. I mean, the, the the implication here is that these ghosts are kind of drawn to him, right? Because mm-hmm. he can see them. Like, like I think Misha Barton's character. They they specifically mentioned that she lives very far away, so the ghost traveled yeah. quite a distance to get there. So I guess the the idea is for 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 whatever reason they they are found drawn to this person that can see them. Um, and that's I guess the same thing that happened to Bruce Willis.
0: But I, I mean. I... He's he clearly has been watching him and observes him. But when he he goes in to talk to him at the church, he says, hey, I know that I missed our appointment earlier today. Sorry about that. And so that's what I was a little confused about was that that line of why would he think that he had. An appointment specifically. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think in his my, my explanation for that was in his delusion he just decided that this was another kid he was assigned oh, right. um, instead of just someone he's magically drawn to. Because I mean, we see like like the other ghosts don't exactly know what's going on. Yeah. Um, the the mother that's the the mother ghost that's messing with the cabinets is like like talking to him as if if as if he's her kid. So yeah. I think I think they just kind of slot into whatever whatever. Type of person they need or whatever Excuse they need to justify Why they're hanging around this kid
0: Now how do you feel about the decision To not have um, A ghost interact with the World until about minute 42 I mean it's not until About an hour that we actually See a ghost but that first one That's at the top of the stairs in The the dumbwaiter basically Is 42 minutes into the film
1: Yeah I mean it's And is that that's Still before he's said the "I see dead people" line, right? Correct. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think like I think this 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 movie to me is like a, a like a tight controlled role, and and I I appreciate that we kind of like slowly dole out what's going on. Um, again, I've never seen this movie without basically understanding the story beforehand. But in my mind, I'm imagining sitting down. To this movie called The Sixth Sense that I know nothing about, and like kind of slowly coming to the realization that oh, it's ghosts. Oh, um, like, oh, here we go. Like, because the beginning is very kind of w- without that knowledge, the beginning is kind of very nebulous. It's just okay, Bruce Willis is helping out this troubled kid who's got something going on with his family, he seems very scared. He's got that little bit of that tuft of white hair. Um and and then it's like slowly kind of revealed out to you what's going on. So I, I appreciate that kind of restraint.
0: I liked it. Now of course we can't talk about the sixth sense without somebody bringing up Haley Joel Osment, and he, mm-hmm. he's he's had a very interesting career in the last twenty years. And yeah, he's I mean I I think there's still people who are just like you know Haley Joel Haley Joel Osment. We're glad that you're still around and you're still you know making stuff and you've got a sense of humor about. It. Your, your career but I, it's it's he of course was was nominated for this movie so we yeah we have to look back 20 years later how do you feel about his performance
1: I liked it a lot um it's it's definitely not the strongest performance in the the movie um I think that goes to Tony Collette who is just freaking amazing
0: yeah I was um, going to get to her in a minute
1: yeah sorry jumping ahead a little bit but you know I mean I I think he does the, the thing about M. Night Shyamalan has been knocked for his dialogue writing in the past, mm-hmm. um, and and I don't think that's entirely unfairly, but it works in this movie because this character of Cole is like so designed to be strange, yeah. like like he like uh, the, the construction of the character is this guy who has heard all these words and sayings and things about the world that he shouldn't know as a little kid because he's constantly being talked to by these ghosts. So I, I think Haley Joel Osment as this. Um, you know cute kid that kind of talks Older than he should is was like his Thing mm-hmm. um, I think it just like Slots into this movie perfectly because It it fits with the character Perfectly and I think that's why People responded to it so well because he's, he's The kid with the cute little face and he's saying Things that he shouldn't know how to Say or what to say and and That fits in with what the story Is doing just perfectly
0: I I totally agree I I I think he did a Great job it's it's extremely solid, but it's also unshowy. There, yeah. There's so many times when you put the kid in the lead that you try to have him be, you know, ultra cute or right. d- just go over the edge. And, of course, when it comes to child acting around this age, you have Haley Joel Osmond's performance in this, but what they directly put it up against is Jonathan Lipnicki in Jerry Maguire. And I, I think that I'd take uh, HGO, you know, in this film any day over that oh hell yeah it it just feels a lot more nuanced
1: yeah and i think like if you look at the most famous line from this movie the most famous line from this movie is i see dead people and and i think if you take that line there's a there's a really good chance that could that could flop that line Mm -hmm. like if performed badly it just wouldn't work it would seem goofy like is like if you if you like think of the sentence i see dead people like it, it, it's kind of weird right like it's just like it's kind of a funny way to talk but <laughs> but he just Haley Joel Osment sells the line and and it's one of the most famous lines in movies now and i think that's like a lot of that is related to his performance and how how he delivers this this wonderful i just love how he says it i love it i, I think it slots in too because of how that
0: conversation starts when um, Bruce Willis, who is more a tent in, in movies with M night Shyamalan than he is in, in most other movies for the last 20 years, which <laughs> right. is, which is weird. Like he shows up in other ones and it feels like he's sleepwalking and he, he works with M night Shyamalan. He's like, Oh yeah, I should probably act now.
1: Yeah. And, which was weird because he had to do this movie, right? This was one of his, um, you're required to do this movie because you caused a movie that you were supposed to do to, to collapse. I think he fired a director and uh-huh. uh, he fired a director on a certain movie and he owed uh, – I forget who produced this. Um,
0: oh, this. This is a weird one. This is Hollywood Pictures.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Which was well, one
0: of the the subsets of uh, Buena Vista, which of course was Disney at the time.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think – yeah, you're right. Um, so, yeah, he owed them two films and this was one of the two films because you think about like how, how does uh, this – really unknown director get Bruce Willis in his movie and not only gets Bruce Willis in his movie, but Bruce Willis took half of his normal money for this. He only got paid 10 million and his, his rate was 20 million in 1999. Um, so that's why it's cause, cause Bruce Willis fired somebody <laughs> and had to make two movies. I wish I could remember what the other movie was. Oh, man. I, th- there was, things were weird
0: in that time for him because of course he did Pulp Fiction and then he goes and does stuff like, uh, Uh, Last Man Standing, which, of course, is the quasi-Western slash gangster uh, updating of uh, Yojimbo. So that's which I I think was a Walter Hill film. So I'm I'm not sure that that might have been one of the movies since that's the one I can think of off the top of my head. But but he he's having the conversation with Cole where he's trying to tell the story and he's failing. And so Cole looks at him and he says, do you want to tell me a story about why you're sad? And he goes, what? And, and he goes, what makes you think that I'm sad? And he goes, your eyes told me. Mm-hmm. And then they've got that quiet little discussion, and then he decides that he's ready to reveal his secret. And and so if he just launched into the I see dead people, it, it, would, it would be stupid, just like every version that tried to make fun referencing that scene and anything right. else. And yet here in it, they have a natural lead into it where he he's still given this good performance and it it leads up to that moment where he has the reveal. So I think that's what gives it more weight than it should have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things it's so funny to watch this movie kind of from uh, from Cole's perspective of. Mm. Hey, this random ghost walked up to me and started talking to me about how he's my child psychologist and he's gonna try to help me. And I think the movie's really enjoyable from that angle. And and I think this is like this is the moment where he actually starts trusting this random ghost that's talking to him because he tells him this this really haunting story about <laughs> the kid he failed. And I, I love I love that, that that's that's the moment where Cole finally starts like trusting a ghost. Yeah.
0: Well it, and I mean that's one of the main things that that, that he learns along the way is, is to be more trusting and to listen to them. And right. And that's, it, it's, it's not even that he's winning fully as a child psychologist in this because it's, it's more so that uh, Malcolm is, is winning at being, a weird, like, paranormal investigator mentor. <laughs> right. Like, that's not his field, but that's ex- exactly what he's doing. He's like, oh, maybe you should just, you know, maybe you should just listen to him. Maybe that's all they yeah. want is they just want to be heard and understood. And it's like, oh, duh, Th- that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, what if they just want to hurt me, though? Um, That's <laughs> eh, probably not that. You're come fine. On. C- come on, kid. Have you seen the-, the Michael Keaton movie White Noise? We know that <laughs> only one in... However many, uh, we, we won't get into that. that. That's still one. And I think that's ultimately um, something that I really like about The Sixth Sense compared to it is any of those other movies that they're like, oh, hey, this is. And uh, Sixth Sense isn't, but it's still just a field is you have movies where you have ghosts and they're never just ghosts being ghosts. They're, they're always, you know, like malevolent, evil Yes yeah, and, yeah. and and they're not just existing And this movie plays upon that because at first you think they're they're scary and everything. but it's once Cole just kind of sits there and, and lets them have their moment, like the great scene with uh, Misha barton where where she's got you know the the vomit dripping from her. mouth and everything and he's he's scared off and he runs but then when he comes back and he takes it off she finishes vomiting and then says well I feel a lot better now
1: yeah 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 I mean it's I I completely agree like it's a it's a like the story the actual like bare bones plot line is very kind of standard ghost story stuff right like it's like there's a ghost um in order to get the ghost to go away we have to help the ghost but it, it it does that in a very like uh empathetic way like it's definitely not like like every time i think of like helping a ghost i think of the ring and the <laughs> you weren't supposed to help her or something like that and that's not what this movie's interested in doing at all it's 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 about repairing it's about um fixing trauma and and become being able to move on to a different phase of your life or afterlife and so it's it's never doing that from any kind of um you know nefarious evil angle.
0: Yeah. And I mean that's I think that's one of the the nice things with it especially when you you get to the great scene later on in the car towards the end with uh um Hayley and Tony Collette.
1: Yeah, that is I think that is my favorite scene in the movie and a lot of people like look at the the Bruce Willis realization as like the big dramatic emotional moment of the movie and it it is like it's a wonderful moment but uh, their conversation in the car is the one that like like kicks me every time, like the one that nails me right in the gut and gets my heart to hurt because it's just this, it's this beautiful moment of um a, a relationship repaired through communication and honesty, and I just I love it so much.
0: No, there, there's nothing wrong with that, and and as you mentioned, it works because of Tony Collette, who's who's in the movie. Who this is 1999, so we're we're not even into the the full um swing of you know what what she's able to to accomplish yeah. and of course she's she's nominated in in this film for supporting actress and of course the the big thing about that is what we're looking at 20 years later and there's a chance that that this year we'll we'll know by the time this episode comes out because this yeah. episode will come out at the end of the week and we're recording on monday night and so tomorrow morning is the Oscar. So there's a chance that she could be nominated for another Oscar and another horror film. And it's hard to think of of many actresses who who get to do that.
1: Yeah, it will be entirely earned in both cases. Um, I loved her in Hereditary. I'm going to be really, really mad if she's not nominated. It's very possible because the Academy does not it, it screws over horror all the time. But um, she I mean, like this. This her character in this movie is amazing. the 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 emotion that she has to convey this like this this frustrated, confused, exhausted woman who like is is about to be at her wit's end and just doesn't know what to do. Like she, she's like I love I love the the moment in the the hospital where she's talking to the doctor and she says something to the effect of you know something physically happened to my child today. What is happening? What what is going on? And there's no answers. And it's just I like, I, like Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osment get all the attention in this movie, um, but but she is she's like kind of the rock of it to me, like, I, and I love everything that she's doing. I love her, I like I love her acting so much. Everything she's in is great, um, but I was I was really paying attention to her this time, knowing that that hopeful Academy Award nomination is coming out tomorrow, and I was I was so blown away all over again.
0: Now, here's an interesting question that I'll ask quickly before we move on to the actual next of the five questions. But watching this film, um, watching it this time, there was some a reaction that I had that I normally don't have when re-watching the movies. And that's being upset that there's a tangent that's not really followed. And it specifically involves um, Tony Collette's character. And it's because when she's going through that room and she's looking over things... Um, she, when she's in the hallway at first with the laundry, she notices the, the light speck that's in every single picture. And then she goes into the room and she finds the words and it feels like she's slowly doing her own detective work and like putting certain things together, but never really makes the, the connection. So yeah, I, I was disappointed that we didn't get another scene or two where she's like overhearing Cole in the middle of the night, you know? And, like, a voice that's that's in the room that's not his.
1: Yeah. The, I mean, the writing on the, the, the freeform writing part was a little weird for me, too. Because, like, I think that the whole construction of that scene is kind of unlike anything else in the film, right? Because you have Haley Joel Osment, Cole is talking to Malcolm. Um, and then we cut to Tony Collette wandering through his room picking up stuff. And we have his we have the conversation playing his voiceover over that scene yeah. where, and the, and the end of the scene is she finds his freeform writing. And I guess is the assumption here that this is like a flashback. Like I wasn't sure. Um, like if, if like he had done the freeform writing stuff much earlier and this is just her finding it because she never, we never see a scene where she like broaches him about yeah. it. Um, that's just kind of abandoned. So it was, it was a little bit weird. Like that's something like, I think this the the light in the picture frame thing was probably not something that needed to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like it. It doesn't. You're you're right that it doesn't. It doesn't lead to anything. It's not yeah. like she's even close to figuring out what's going on. Um, it, it actually I think almost harms it because it, it starts to give her hints that there's something beyond just yeah. your kid is sick, um, which I think is is kind of her emotional like tether to him is that she's worried about. Something that's going on inside him rather than, you know, nebulous yeah. outside forces. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I,
0: th- that's why I think if there was one more scene to kind of square it away, either she does wonder what's up or or something that then throws her off the sand. And she's like, oh, it's fine, because the funny thing about that shot is when they're going around, you're seeing all the pictures that he mentioned about that. He, he started drawing pictures with rainbows and people smiling. Yeah. Except for when they're going around that room, and then later in the film, they show another one that's off to the side. Um, and you realize that the pictures that he's drawing are all of all the different ghosts. And there's one right. that's very late in the movie before he talks to his mom that's just off on the corner and has a rainbow and has him smiling. But then there's 10 others smiling, floating heads around him. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah. The next big question that we like to ask is to you is there a signature scene or moment that always stays with you when you're thinking about The Sixth Sense?
1: Um there's I mean there's there's a lot of like I already talked about the the moment at the end in the car yeah. but the one that really jumped out of me this this time around um is the the moment where um Malcolm and Cole are meeting Um, in his house for the first time and he plays the, the, the game with him, the, um, where he
0: take a step forward. If I, yeah, the, the,
1: take a step forward, take a step back game. Yeah. I, I, I love that scene. Um, I love the scene, you know, every bit of it. I think the writing's really great, but I love what, what Shyamalan does with the camera here. And I think this is something we haven't talked about too much so far is is his, his camera direction and what he does with the camera. And that's like part of what I like the most in his movies. And, and what he does here is, you know, he'll switch back and forth to first person perspectives as Malcolm is getting questions wrong. And Cole is stepping further and further away from him. He'll cut to that POV shot and will the camera will pull back and move farther away from Bruce Willis. And, and it, it like, I think it uses I'm not sure which type of lens it uses, but it almost over exaggerates the distance. It makes it look like Bruce Willis is even further away. And I just like that, that sticks in my mind every time I watch this movie, I I just, kind of drool over that scene and think about it as a, a great example of why I like Shyamalan's directing so much when he's really like, when he's really on his game with his direction. Um, I, he's, I just, the things he does with the camera are fantastic. And I think that's a great example of it. No,
0: that's, I mean, that's, that's fair. It, it, it works well. Um, I, I think it's, it's really well done mostly because of the fact that Cole is really quiet And even though Malcolm kind of fails in in the job that he wants to do, uh, he gets Cole to talk. Yeah. He he gets him to reveal information. So he doesn't get him to sit in the chair to have the conversation that he wants, but he still gets Cole to to make admissions to him.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's another one of those scenes that plays differently once you know who Bruce Willis is because – the assumption at the beginning of the scene is Cole is not talking to him because he's in a bad mood and he doesn't feel like talking. But in reality, Cole's not talking to him because his mom is in the other room and he's worried his mom is going to overhear him talking to nobody. Yeah. Um. And so that's, so he's like, and, and you can see that in Haley Joel Osment's performance too. Like before he gets into things, like he keeps glancing over his shoulder at the kitchen where his mom is making dinner. And I just like, I like even in the performances they're they're showing that they're hinting towards those little things. And the, I love it. And
0: I mean, it it works, but, but at the same time, it it brings up that point that we mentioned that, you know, this is maybe the first time that he's talking to a ghost. So it's, everybody's being helped here. So, you know, that's, that's, what's weird. That's, what's interesting. So here's a question. I'm I'm going to give you the question that we always ask and if you want to take it in a different direction this time, you you more than can since we have a, a movie to do that. So the question that we ask is is there a contemporary film that's reminiscent of The Sixth Sense? And Oh gosh, what what elements does does that film do better or where does it or where does the original do better? Now, because glass just came out and it's the film that literally everyone has been talking about this weekend they'll be talking about next weekend when this episode comes out and because it does concern m night Shyamalan 20 years later would you like to talk about that one and focus on the director
1: um we could i mean the thing about the thing that's difficult to talk about glass is um like it's really hard to talk about that movie without spoiling what happens in it. Mm. And, and because the movie just came out, I just don't, I just don't want to do that. Um, because not many people have seen it yet, yeah. but I mean, I, I will think like just seeing glass over the weekend and then watching this movie, I think he has changed as a director. He's not, he's definitely not like even just like the camera stuff we were just talking about. He doesn't do that kind of like, like both, uh, both Sixth Sense and unbreakable after it, were very kind of had like very kind of slow, deliberate camera movements, not too much cutting. Um, glass is definitely not as much that. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think when did so? I don't know if it's like a modern, modern movie, but when did um, when, what's the Leo DiCaprio, um, Shutter Scorsese Island Scorsese film, Shutter Island? Yeah, how old's that movie?
0: Uh, Shutter Island's old, but not as old as you'd think
1: it's 2010 okay yeah. so,
0: so so it's it, it's it's getting towards the but it's not it's not it's not super contemporary if that makes sense it, it's yeah. still at this point almost 9 years old so yeah it's it, it's not what i think of
1: it's i mean yeah it's a it's a psychological thriller that i think has a a pretty effectively done twist at the end so that's why i yeah. jumped into my head but no i'm not nothing like modern day is really jumping out at me. See, and that's. Do you have anything? I, I can't
0: directly think of one off the top of my head, but we, we do live in a time where people still try to go the twist route, if they can, to pull it out from under people, um, they, like out from under their nose, but it's never done quite the same as with the sixth sense when they go back and they show the very end of the sixth sense. And they're like, Oh, here's these scenes that you were thinking of differently out of context. It doesn't work the same. And so that's why I was trying to think if there was any movie from the last couple of years that was predicated on um, a, a twist. And there's not many that come like immediately
1: yeah. to mind. I think the interesting thing is probably that, they've fallen out of fashion and it's probably because of M night Shyamalan that they've fallen out of fashion because uh, for a while there he had fallen out of fashion. Um, although like, I think like labeling him as the twist director is I think a little overblown because I mean, he does you employ them? Um, but not like in every single one of his movies. Um, like I, I don't see like, I don't see um that, the. "Quote unquote twist and unbreakable" to me is not really a twist. Um, it's more of just like I mean, there's like a reveal and a twist are not the same thing. Um,
0: uh, I, I I think within the context of the way that he frames it, that that it can be viewed that way.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because that's one of the things that jumped out at me in in this rewatch is when when uh, Malcolm is trying to tell that story to Cole in the the hospital room um, and Cole says the phrase, you haven't told a lot of stories much, right? Like they have to have a twist in them. And and then his example for a twist is, well, what if the car runs out of gas? And I think that's that is a kind of a very interesting window into how M. Night Shyamalan views uh, a, a twist. In a story where it's just uh, something, something bad happens,
0: something happens <laughs> to the
1: car is a twist. Uh, OK, OK, sure.
0: It's just like conflict. No, no, I can. I, I can understand that. I think there's a couple movies that I had to, um I want to say that. Oh, God, I'm trying to remember what originally it was called February and then it became the Black Coat's Daughter.
1: Oh yeah, I remember that. That's the first film I ever saw at Fantastic Fest. Yeah, that that one was did have a twist. And so that it was did, a more yeah. recent
0: one that, that had it. But I'm but it's kind of different in the way that it reveals it. So like that's what I'm trying to think of. Because this movie that they, they lay it out and like it, it feels like after this, the two ways that there were big twists in movies were um M. Night Shyamalan, Saw and the final destination movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know that's not exactly like the three P you want to have, but they were the ones that dominated it uh, the most. Cause you still had, had a couple movies occasionally, but I don't think you really had a movie that had a twist ending that was received the way that this one was.
1: No, I, I think you're right. Um, and I mean, I, out of all of Shyamalan's twist, I think this one works the best. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's probably his best movie. I used to like say Unbreakable was his best movie, um, mm-hmm. but that was just me kind of like not necessarily being contrarian but not but being like that was in my days of like oh I can't go with the mainstream. I have to be a little bit different. So no, it's not the 6th Sense, it's Unbreakable, but I think this is probably his, his best movie by far. And it's the and and the fact that the twist works is is the most well-designed and works the best in this movie is part of the reason why it's his best film
0: now you've mentioned those two movies several times both this and unbreakable and since you've seen glass do you do you think that he's he's taken a step up or a step back with glass
1: i don't know it's tough like uh, I, I think he's I, it's almost like he's taken a step to the left <laughs> like oh, yeah. i i don't i don't he's like, trying I something
0: think different
1: he's definitely trying stuff and and that's why like a lot of people are like the thing that annoys me about the conversation around m night Shyamalan is he'll have a movie that comes out and it's a good movie and everyone will be like oh m night Shyamalan's back and then he'll he'll have a movie that comes out and it's not as well received and everyone will be like oh m night Shyamalan actually sucks and turns out he was probably never really good anyway <laughs> and that's just like sh- guys shut up like you don't have to reinvent the the director every time he makes a movie you don't like but i think like what we're seeing right now is he's trying a lot of things like i think like the fact that the last three movies he's made have been self-funded um like like uh, glass exists probably literally because of six Sense, because he made so much money off of this movie that he's been living off of six Sense money like basically his entire career the the
0: the success of split i would think too
1: yeah 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 i mean but like but uh six cents funded the visit uh Mm. the visit funded split and split funded this movie basically, but he's been self financing them all. Um, and, and I, I like, there was that, I don't know if you saw the variety story that came out over the weekend. That was just basically like, Emma that should stop writing his own movies. And I just <laughs> wanted to be like, shut, like, shut up. Like he's, if, if you're going to finance your own movie, write it and direct it. Like, just go like, I like it doesn't, to me, I, no, I don't think Glass is as good as uh, Sixth Sense or Unbreakable. I don't think Split is as good as Sixth Sense or Unbreakable. Um, but they are different movies that he's trying to explore things in. And I, I always will find that infinitely more fascinating than like just some, some churned out drivel. So um, like while I'm not going to sit here and say Glass is the best movie of 2019, um, although maybe it is so far. I don't know. I haven't seen too many movies this year. But uh, <laughs> but um. I think I think it is interesting, even in the ways that it fails. And I think there are certain ways that glass fails. I think it is fascinating in its failure.
0: I mean, if he's still experimenting that, that, I think that's one of the big keys is that you don't need to be the most successful person. But if,
1: yeah, if 20 years
0: on in your career, you're still experimenting and trying to explore new ideas, that's even, even if you're not ultimately successful, I think there's plenty of people who can appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And and that's like a lot of people don't like this movie and that's absolutely fine. But I have appreciated the takes I've seen on Twitter and on all the, the different websites of people that – Found something to like about it, and they wrote pretty great articles exploring that stuff. Um, I really appreciated seeing that over the past few days. So that's, I mean, whenever a movie has you thinking and like deciding what you felt about it, um, and and even arguing, like I love movies that people are so have are so different opinions on that they end up arguing about it. I mean, I think that that shows that a movie's done something good. So. Yeah.
0: Which which reminds me to tell everyone, make sure to check out Brock Wilbur's fifty percent review of Glass on Boom Howdy.
1: <laughs> Did not sh- like it. Shameless shameless plug. There we go. Um, but this now- is but that's I mean, sorry, sorry, but that's the weird thing about this movie is like sometimes when I really, really love a movie and I see someone didn't like it and I'm just like, how Dare you? How did you watch that movie and not like that movie? This movie, I, I walk out of the movie and I'm like, okay, I get, I get, I completely get why people thought this was terrible. I totally get it. But a movie that people universally enjoyed,
0: of course, was The Sixth Sense. So that brings us to the final question, which is, having recently rewatched this film do you think it's still worthy of the reverence that people have towards it and putting it up on that pedestal? Or do you think it's starting to lose its luster and that the sheen is starting to wear off?
1: I absolutely do think it's still worth uh, the reverence it has. Um, I, the, it got put onto AFI's top 100 movies of all time list in, was I think it was in 20 2007, I think is when they added it to that list. Um, they haven't updated their list since, and I would be interested to see if they do update it, if it remains on the top 100 list. Um, but I think it's well worth it. Um, I think, you know, not only is it a great, solidly made movie, its cultural impact is is readily apparent. I would be very surprised if anyone in this country doesn't know the twist of this movie, whether they've seen it or not. Um, it, it's had an impact on everything, and it's just a really tightly made little thriller that I just – it's it's a perfect movie. It's a perfect movie. There I said it. There you go.
0: I mean, hey, that's 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 what we want. That's the type of, you know, people that we want to be on the show to have that passion. And I think we've gone a little bit longer than we normally do, but that's okay cuz that, that's we want these conversations to kind of flow themselves. And if you've got these feelings, that's the whole reason why we have this. We for the people who haven't seen the film And if you did listen through the spoiler, that's okay, because Scott even told you that the first time he saw this movie, he saw it full well knowing what the twist was, and he still really enjoyed the movie, and here he is, you know, years later talking about it and how great it is, so sometimes that that works out. I mean, it's not always going to be that case, but it works out, and I, I, I definitely think the views and things that you've mentioned will, will give people a greater appreciation for when they do watch it possibly for the first or first time in a long time.
1: Yeah. And I think it's on Netflix right now. So if you haven't watched it in forever or have never watched it, Netflix, there you go. I thought that
0: our recording cut out for a second, but it didn't. So I'm glad
1: I'm glad. Um,
0: Scott, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. I thought it was a good way to kick off the year because when it comes to horror, there's so many different levels of what defines a horror movie. And there's plenty of people who believe that horror is usually like there's a lot of blood and guts and, and that's about it. But there's so many different aspects when it comes to horror. You can have horror comedies, you can have psychological horror, you can have supernatural horror, you can have movies that, that don't necessarily feel that scary but can still be defined as horror and i think that's where the sixth sense gets slotted in it definitely takes on that supernatural horror and that it's not e- extremely in your face or over the top and it's pg13 at the same time and there there's many times that we kind of bemoan when you know horror movies get slapped with that label and i think this is one of the rare exceptions to that rule
1: yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Um, I, I usually kind of uh, cringe every time I see a, P- a PG thirteen horror movie, but this one is is one that completely manages to convey creepiness and and fear um, and a lot of a lot of drama in that PG thirteen rating. Well, There you go, Scott. Where can the good people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at scottdaily eighty five going to need a new Twitter name one day that takes those numbers out. Numbers are not fashionable in Twitter handles these days. Um, Twitter's not fashionable on Twitter. That's true. That's true. And you can find all the the shows uh, me and my my co-host do over at doofmedia.com. There you go. Does Doof Media have a Twitter handle as well? They do. It's at Doof Media. There so yeah, follow us there.
0: Um, yeah, we're all over the place. That's good. That's good. I, I mean, there's and if you, if you definitely want to check out some yelling matches between Scott and I <laughs> um I believe that doof Media does have some of the backlog for for Phantom Zoned.
1: Yep, every single Phantom Zoned episode is uh up right now on doofmedia.com so you can check all those out. And the very first
0: episode of that was uh was the happening in case you want to go hear uh, Scott and I talk more about uh, M Night Shyamalan in a very different manner. There's a there's a lot more more yelling and rambling that goes on in that one. Well, th- thank, thank you for being, you know, our first guest. It, it, it means a lot. Um, you guys can find all of my work online at uh, on Twitter at GoAdrianTorris. Yo you can find the show's Twitter information at Whoreversary. And then, of course, you can find my writing over at BoomHowdy.com. Um, there's going to be a lot going on exactly when this uh, episode comes out because we are at the end of January. And since I am in Kansas City, it means that we are having panic fest. Um, So if you hear this when the episode drops, uh, definitely, if you happen to be in the Kansas City area, make your way out to Screenland Armor to see all the great, wonderful, crazy movies that they've got going on, which does include a non-bootleg, officially sanctioned, showing of one cut of the
1: dead oh really <laughs> yes they, that's there's awesome. a
0: saturday night showing and a sunday morning showing of it so
1: everyone go see one cut of the dead scott's seen it so he he can attest he can test yes it's so good it, see that that's all you guys need um we
0: will be back very very soon with another episode we're getting we're, we're trying to get everybody's schedules underway so we're going to be bringing a whole bunch to you this year because this year is chocked full of so many big, big films. We got this one out of the way. You know what another film from 1999 was? The Blair Witch Project. Oh, boy. that That's going to be a big discussion. So until next time, everyone, be good to each other.